Section number 21 of Slave Narratives, a folk history of slavery in the United States from interviews with former slaves, Volume 11, North Carolina Narratives, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Slave Narratives, a folk history of slavery in the United States from Interviews with Former Slaves, Volume 11, North Carolina Narratives, Part 1, by Various, Days on the Plantation. As told by Uncle David Blount, formerly of Beaufort County, he did not know his age. The master he refers to was Major William A. Blount, who owned plantations in several parts of North Carolina. Yes, ma'am. The days on the plantation was the happy days. The master made us work through the week, but on Saturdays, we used to go swimming in the river and do a lot of other things that we liked to do. We didn't mind the work so much because the ground was soft as ashes and the master let us stop and rest when we got tired. We planted taters in the uplands and corn in the low grounds next to the river. It was on the Cape Fear and on hot days when we was a-pullin' the fodder, we'd all stop work about three o'clock in the evening and go swimming. After we come out in the water, we would work harder than ever, and the master was good to us, because we did work, and we done what he asked us. I remember once the master had an overseer there that was meaner than a mean nigger. He always hired good overseers, and a whole lot of times, he let some Negro slave oversee. Well, this overseer beat some of the half-grown boys till the blood run down to their heels, and he told the rest of us that if we told on him, that he'd kill us. We don't doesn't ask the master to get rid of the man, so this went on for a long time. It was cold as the devil one day, and this overseer had a gang of us a clearing new ground. One boy asked if he could warm by the brush heap. The overseer said no, and after a while, the boy had a chill. The overseer don't care, but that night, the boy is a sick nigger. The next morning, the master gets the doctor, and the doctor says that the boy has got pneumonia. He tells him to take off the boy's shirt and grease him with some tar, turpentine, and kerosene. And when they starts to take the shirt off, they find that it was stuck. They had to grease the shirt to get it off because the blood where the overseer beat him had stuck the shirt tight to the skin. The master was in the room and he asked the boy how come it and the boy told him. The master sort of turns white and he says to me, will you go and ask the overseer to stop here a minute please? When the overseer comes up the steps, he asks sort of sassy-like, what you want? The master says, pack your things and get off in my place as fast as you can, you pesky varmint. The overseer sasses the master some more, and then I sees the master fairly lose his temper for the first time. He don't say a word, but he walks over, grabs the overseer by the shoulder, sets his boot right hard against the seat of his pants and sends him all drawed up out in the yard on his face. He clothes up like an umbrella for a minute, then he pulls himself all together 
and he limps out of that yard, and we ain't never seen him no more. No, ma'am, there wasn't no Marion on the plantation them days. And as one old woman raised all of the children's, me and my brother Johnny ain't never knowed who our folkses was. Johnny was a little feller when the war ended, but I was in most of the things that happened on the plantation for a good while. One time there, I don't forget the year, some white men's come down the river on a boat and they comes into the fields and talks to a gang of us and they says that our masters ain't treating us right. They tells us that we ought to be paid for our work and that we hadn't ought to have passes to go anywhere. They also tells us that we ought to be allowed to tote guns if we want some. They says, too, that sometime our master was going to kill us all. I laughs at them, but some of them fool niggers listen to them, and it appears that these men give the niggers some guns after I left and promised to bring them some more the next week. I finds out the next day about this, and I goes and tells the master. He sort of laughs and scratches his head. Them niggers headed for trouble, Dave, he says to me, and I want you to help me. I says, yes, massa, and he goes on. You finds out when the rest of them guns comes, Dave, and let me know. When the man brings back the guns, I tells the master, and I also tells him that they wants to hold a meeting. All right, he says and laughs. They can have their meeting. You tell them, Dave, that I said that they can meet on Tuesday night in the pack house. Tuesday evening, he sends them all off to the low grounds but me, and he tells me to nail up the shutters to the pack house and to nail them up good. I does like he tells me to do, and that night, the niggers march in and sneaks their guns in too. I is lying up in the loft, and I hear some say that after the meeting, they's going to go up to the big house and kill the whole family. I gets out the window and I runs to the house and tells the master. Then me and him and the young master goes out and quick as lightning, I slams the packed door and I locks it. Then the master yells at him. I's got men and guns out here, he yells. And if you don't throw them guns out of the hole up there in the loft and throw them every one out, I's going to stick fire to that pack house. The niggas liberates for a few minutes and then they throws the guns out. I knows how many they has got, so I counts till they throw them all out. Then I gathers up them guns and I totes them off to the big house. Well, sir... We keeps them niggas shut up for about a week on short rations, and at the end of that time, them niggers were cured for good. When they come out, they had three overseers instead of one, and the rules am stricter than ever before, and then the master goes off to war. I reckon I was about 15 or 16 then, and the master carries me long for his personal servant and bodyguard, and he leaves the rest of them niggers in the fields to work like the Dickens while I laughs at them Yankees. Jim belonged to Mr. Harley, who lived in New Hanover County during the war. In fact, he was young Massa Harley's slave. So when young Massa Tom went to the war, Jim went along too. They was at Manassas, they tells me, when Massa Tom got killed, and the orders was not to take bodies off the field right then. Of course, old Massa down near Wilmington 
don't know about young Massa Tom, but one night they hears Jim holler at the gate. They goes running out, and Jim has brought Massa Tom's body all that long ways home so that he can be buried in the family burial ground. The Massa frees Jim that night, but he stays on a time after the war. Until the day he died, he hated the Yankees for killing Massa Tom. In fact, we all hated the Yankees, especially after we nearby starved that first winter. I tried to make a living for me and Johnny, but it was bad going. Then I comes to Raleigh, and I gets along better. After I gets settled, I brings Johnny, and so we done pretty good. That's all I can tell you now, miss, but if y'all come back sometime, I'll tell you the rest of the tales. Shortly after the above interview, Uncle Dave, who was failing fast, was taken to the county home where he died. He was buried on May the 4th, 1937, the rest of the tale remaining untold. End of section number 21, read by Kevin Waters, Spring Hill, Florida, February the 8th, 2022.